Hello everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot, a film and television podcast in which we talk about a theme that changes from episode to episode. I'm Edwin Davis and this week, inspired by the forthcoming or current release of uh, The Girl With All The Gifts in the US, uh, it's got, got a slightly complicated release schedule that we'll get into in a moment, but uh, you know we're going to talk about zombies and uh, I'm joined to discuss all things shambling and undead by John Hunter. Hi John! Hi, Ed. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> my subject of expertise uh, clearly <laughs> marked out on my Twitter bio. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me back, though. Thank you for coming on. Uh, yeah, like I said, we're going to talk about zombies and the undead, but we're going to start with a bit of movie news because um, this episode is going up mere days after there was an exciting announcement. Exciting if you're kind of a horror fan uh, and if you're just into movies, I guess, that the Halloween remake, which was reported last year was uh, being put together by Jason Bloom and, and, and Blum, oh, Jason Blum, I suppose, and Blumhouse Productions signed up some of its key creative talent. It's going to be directed by David Gordon Green. He of, amongst other things, um, George Washington, Pineapple Express fame, the man who has a very varied and strange career that just keeps getting stranger, uh, will be co-written by Danny McBride, the actor, not the guy who writes all the Underworld movies. I should point that out. <laughs> There's two of them and they're not the same person, even though that would be amazing if they were. Uh, and John Carpenter, in addition to producing it, may also write some of the music based on his kind of vague booking announcement of it. But uh, this is all very exciting for me. Uh, how do you feel about this news, John? Well, I, I guess I'm definitely excited that there's a new Halloween movie coming and mm. that there's a certain momentum behind it as well, which is because sometimes you just feel we have the property, we should probably do something with it. Whereas this seems like yeah. you've got people who clearly are interested in doing it and don't have to. I don't think Danny McBride would has been sort of had his arm twisted into writing the new Halloween movie if he didn't want to. I, I must admit Halloween is, I mean, the original Halloween is one of my favourite ever horror movies and mm. my evolution of... Uh, wanting to do my own writing because of having watched Scream and uh, the character of uh, Randy's fascination with Halloween has uh, just <laughs> always spurred me onward. So um, I think, yeah, I, I, to an extent, while I know that it, there are there is a lot of room for original franchises to sort of get going, especially under Blumhouse, um, but it's I, I am always at least morbidly curious to see what people do with uh, old licenses and existing properties just to keep it sort of relevant, you know, 30, 40 years later after it was first created. So intriguing. <laughs> yeah, especially because, like, those got, like you say, uh, Danny McBride, he's not struggling. Mm. <laughs> this isn't kind of a, something he's doing to keep the lights on. It's something that he and David Gordon Green, who he's had like a 20 something year friendship with and who's been, they've been collaborating a lot throughout that time. They clearly saw that there was an opportunity, opportunity for them to do something interesting with a movie that they're fans of uh presumably in, in much the same way like because um david gordon green was attached to a remake of suspiria for a really really long time there was like a five-year period where that was always his next film and then he ah. would do like a terrible jonah hill comedy uh but but like that was always like that always seemed to be up the next on the docket uh, and that always seemed weird that he would be the one that they would go to but then at the same time you think well that's not like a big name property. It's not like there's a studio somewhere saying, okay, we're going to give you $100 million to remake Suspiria. It was clearly like, 
David Gordon Green really likes Suspiria and really wants to, you know, have his own spin on it. And him doing a lowish budget version of Halloween with John Carpenter's blessing certainly sounds and, and involvement seems like the potential to make something that's more than just kind of like a cash grab to like you say just oh we have the license we need to make this movie otherwise someone else is going to get the license uh it, it seems like a recipe for a good movie yeah i think it's it's just always nice when somebody has a take on it i think which is more interesting than it's just not a new halloween film um and with these sorts of properties it, they're clearly not afraid to not make the films as well <laughs> so i mean mm. i don't know if you saw this week that the friday the 13th movie that was upcoming has now officially been removed from uh the schedule for uh, by paramount mm. i think it is so it's it's clearly if they weren't interested in doing it they wouldn't have to i guess speaking of other things that Paramount have removed from the schedule this week, if you want to move on to zombies, they also removed the sequel to World War Z or Z from their mm. schedule. So <laughs> uh, almost as if that was a perfect segue for zombies. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but uh, but no, I am excited for a new Halloween movie. And uh, um, yeah, and also something made by people that you wouldn't necessarily expect, because I think it's always great when people get the opportunity to surprise you by not generally making Pineapple Express 7 or, you know, or yeah. yet another Jonah Hill comedy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, like, like you say, and like I said, we're talking about zombies. Uh, and we're going to start with a discussion of the movie The Girl with All the Gifts, which is a British zombie apocalyptic movie that came out in the UK last year and is currently in very limited release over here in the US. I think it's been out for about two weeks, but we'll be going on to like video on demand uh, on February the 24th so uh, we're going to kind of talk about it in anticipation of that because uh, I know it was a film that you really really enjoyed last year and I had the opportunity to watch it on a plane which was not yeah. the which is I try not to do I try not to watch films I'm interested in on a plane because it's it's not necessarily the best situation for it and because I once watched Zodiac on a plane and Zodiac, it became one of my favourite films ever purely based on that viewing because it was so good. But at the end, I couldn't read any of the text explaining what happened afterwards because the screen <laughs> was too small. <laughs> so I was just kind of squinting. It's like, uh, the never found him? Oh, that's bad. Um, yeah, when you have to rely on your own knowledge of a subject to fill in yeah. the blanks at the end of a film. Yeah, so I, uh, The Girl with All the Gifts was definitely one of my top five movies of last year. And, uh, mm. and I did briefly mention it in our preview of the upcoming films for this year for you because I knew it was coming out in various forms. Uh, yeah, so I think on demand now. But yeah, no, I absolutely love this film. And it's uh, as, uh, as as we record this, it's uh, just currently nominated for some BAFTAs, which are, uh, mm. are being hosted tomorrow night. So I'm wishing it every luck. But it's been a, a good year for genre movies and horror in particular in the BAFTAs as well with Under the Shadow also uh, up for mm. uh, a couple of awards as well so it's uh, it, it seems like there's definitely a change in the wind when it comes to the the reverence that genre movies can have so the thing about a film like The Girl with All the Gifts is that it's it's incredibly well made and it has a very strong emotional core for it for people who are unaware of the movie uh, it takes place in a Britain that has been kind of ravaged and almost destroyed by a zombie outbreak the zombie virus in particular in this instance is a fungus which is spread by bites uh, and then the, the fungus kind of gets into people's brains and and uh, turns them into you know kind of typical zombies in the in the kind of 28 Days Later or Dawn of the Dead remake sense that they're running around biting people. But then uh, the longer they're exposed to it, it leads to different uh, physiological changes. And the film focuses on a young girl 
uh, named Melanie, who is the um, who is a kind of an evolution of this in that she has a a hunger for flesh, but she also has all of her cognitive uh, faculties in place, and she's incredibly intelligent. And her relationships to all of these various military personnel who are trying to um, use her for a cure, but also become uh, attached to her because she is, you know, for all intents and purposes, a very bright, precocious young girl. It's just that if she gets a sniff of human flesh, <laughs> she goes rabid and tries to kill people. Uh, and, you know, the, the story follows her and the, these uh, people who are played by Gemma Arterton, Paddy Considine and Glenn Close, uh, who's uh, who are all, all fantastic in the movie, as they travel across kind of a ravaged Britain to try and figure out some way of getting to safety after their base is attacked. Uh, and uh, it's a really fantastically realised um, kind of road movie, essentially. And it's these these disparate characters who are thrown together trying to survive. But also it offers this wonderful, intimate vision of the end of the world and that it only really focuses on these small people and what they encounter as they're trying to kind of make their way through a Britain that is pretty much ground to a standstill because there's hardly anyone alive left in it. Yeah, it's... Uh... I, I will have to just pick you up on one thing there, though, Ed. It's, it's, it's of course, not a mm-hmm. virus in this case. It is a bacteria. <laughs> so, ah, yes. <laughs> which I know makes that, all yes, the difference. But I just, you know, yeah. we can't anger people listening. <laughs> but I think that does it does add the, a different sort of element to it because it is sort of very much inspired by the... Um, I'm not even going to bother trying to pronounce the uh, the name of the uh, the bacteria that sort of possesses insects and, uh, and carries them to uh, perform strange things in a sort of weird parasitic relationship but uh uh yeah well you know that's a, that's a good point and i do know we have at least one scientist listening who would <laughs> would would have written an angry email at me hi michaela um <laughs> but you know like like i say it, it um conforms to a lot of the traditional ideas of what a zombie movie is in that you have scenes of them trying to figure out a way of walking through zombies without being spotted it has the the actual attacks of zombies conform to particularly the modern uh, imaginings of zombies. And, and you get that thing that The Walking Dead also does of uh, the longer someone's been a, a zombie, the more physically kind of they have fallen apart. The difference being in this case, it's not just that like their flesh is rotting, it's that fungus is growing out of their face uh, and it looks incredibly gross. Um, but I, I I was really impressed by the ways in which it took kind of the existing ideas of what a zombie movie is and then really through the 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 fungal aspect of it you know it kind of uh also touched on things like day of the triffids there's a lot of kind of john Wyndham's um kind of parochial english apocalypses uh in there i thought yeah i mean one of the the uh easiest comparison points that's come up in a lot of reviews is it being like danny boyle's 28 days later which is mm. very much like day of the triffids in its structure yeah. whereas i think or this one is more like it ideologically, I think, in terms of uh, some of the things, the character dynamics it explores, as well as the sort of the interesting fungal side of things, which mm. uh, is not something I normally think to review at all in a movie. <laughs> the, <laughs> the fungal presence. But, but I think it's um, it's very much the the character dynamics. I think, I mean, yeah, you mentioned the great cast of uh, Gemma Arterton and Paddy Constantine and Glenn Close, but I also think it's uh, Senia Nanua as as Melanie who actually really holds the move, movie together. I think, yeah. So I, I'd read the the novel that the book is based on and adapted by its own author as the screenplay, Mike Carey. And I was always reading the book and knowing there was a film coming. I was just thinking, how are you going to cast such a brilliant uh, a brilliant sort of character? And they 
I guess the answer is by finding a really brilliant actor. So I, mm. I gather they went through uh, quite a search process to find Melanie, and uh, but I think it definitely pays off. Yeah, yeah, she's she's fantastic, and particularly because she has to embody a lot of different and very contradictory things, which are she has to be this kind of charming, precocious young child, and you have to understand why, like Gemma Arterton would uh, have a lot of affection for her as her teacher, uh, to the extent that she. Uh, kind of endangers her own life by getting too close to her but she also has to um, be genuinely kind of a terrifying force like when she um, has to feed and she starts kind of um, doing that thing where she's almost unlocking her jaw because she's like she's starting to be overcome by her desire to feed or um, at one point in the movie when she says to uh, to Paddy Considine and, and Gemma Arterton, pretend you're afraid of me. And uh, Paddy Considine says in that wonderful kind of deadpan way, he says, pretend. Uh, <laughs> uh, and she, has to, she can be kind of genuinely vicious and it's hard to embody both of those things at the same time. But she does a, she does a fantastic job of doing that. Probably worth stressing at this point, we're not going to spoil the movie beyond no. anything you know in the trailers. So uh, uh, I don't know if that's the ground rules anyway, but uh, yeah, I, think, <laughs> I will say that it builds to a fantastic ending, which I think mm. was powerful in the book and is is amazing to see on screen. And I think that's where the actual, as much as everyone's trotted out the it's a zombie movie with brains <laughs> kind of tagline on all of the posters. I think there really is there really is something to say here beyond just watching people trying not to get eaten and then potentially getting eaten <laughs> so it's, mm. it's that sort of similar tone i guess to something like let the right one in in either its uh, book or film form i think uh, this sort of heightened level of genre where it really is the characterization driving it which i think is very much increasingly prevalent in sort of genre films and particularly genre tv series anyway yeah i hadn't thought about let the right one in as a point of comparison but that it does have that same feeling to it like that sense that you are you in the back of my, your mind you know that you're watching kind of a, a genre movie and you know what the tropes of it are but there are long stretches of the movie when it's just the characters kind of spending time together talking and like it's it's almost possible to kind of forget like oh yeah there are things waiting outside to eat them uh which actually the characters do at one point to, to their yeah. to their detriment um but like it 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 does have that kind of that's more that where it's more about like the coming of age of a character or more about the the relationships than it is the the zombie aspects which obviously bring a lot of uh tension and drive and are the kind of the inciting incident of the whole thing but you know the the, the film does a wonderful job of drawing out the different tensions between the various characters some of whom are more are closer to melanie than others or they have kind of her they have different uh, intentions for her than than others uh, and the way in which those dynamics play out in the context of them kind of running for their lives and trying to figure out some way of surviving yeah there's a brilliant character web i think melanie is potentially the cure for humanity's survival so uh, but she's also just a little girl from Gemma Arterton's point of view mm. she's a thing to be afraid of from Paddy Considine's point of view and she is a lab rat from Glenn Close's point of view which yes. I think just so as they all go on the run together I think it's just it's you know it's uh, I know Hugh Jackman recently described the new Logan Wolverine movie as uh, Little Miss Sunshine <laughs> meets uh, <laughs> meets a, an R-rated comic book but there is an element of that almost to uh, the girl with all the gifts as well is that she uh, she really is the key to all of their kind of ongoing character arcs. And I, I just think it's it's on that level that when 
uh, a genre movie like Let the Right One In or The Girl with All the Gifts, actually, there are moments where, you know, you're sort of, you might get something in your eye. And uh, it's fair to say that I never had that during Dawn of the Dead or. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you do. You do genuinely care about all those characters, even like the because there's, there's a few other kind of soldier types who tag along for a certain me- period of time, but aren't necessarily that important to the narrative but you still care about them when uh, it becomes apparent that they're in great danger you know you yeah. kind of think because melanie cares about them as well like she uh, is a character who clearly has a great deal of love and affection for these people even though they are her captives uh they are her captors sorry uh and they've been kind of keeping her locked in a day of the dead style underground facility for her whole life uh and that also is is an interesting thing as well is like part of the story is her getting out of this situation where she's been kept in a classroom or she's been kept in kind of restraints for her whole life to suddenly being out in the real world and having to kind of encounter all this stuff that she has either never seen before except maybe like in books or whatever or never even heard of before and that's that's quite quite touching in its own way because you, you see that oh she's kind of learning about the world uh even though the world is in kind of collapse and chaos yeah it's it really is a road movie in that brilliant sort of self-discovery way as well as that getting mm. from a to b way isn't it i think it's yeah uh, it's it's uh i think if i've got one testament I, uh, I was actually working in waterstones when the book was released uh mm. and it was very easy for me to recommend it to people who were initially sort of like oh when you say the z word you could see them yeah. sort of backing away but then i got a lot of customers actually coming back in and saying well you recommended it to me i wasn't sure but i've never read a book like this before and i really enjoyed it and i think it's it's the ending that nails people in terms of because it really does culminate the emotion and the the genre action of it all in in such a terrific way and i think that uh, a lot of people i know and have recommended it to really enjoy it but i think the nicest surprise is always the people who kind of go i didn't think i'd ever enjoy a zombie story and so I, hopefully if you're slightly put off by the z word or the z word depending where you are uh, <laughs> then uh, i i would fully recommend giving it a go because i think right from the opening chapter or the opening scene of this film you really just get caught into melanie's story mm. and everything else just sort of falls into place behind it yeah and and i think it's or it's it's always exciting to see a movie that can appeal to fat genre fans and non-genre fans pretty much equally like it has all those elements that could bring people who like have never watched a zombie movie before but can be drawn in by you know the coming of age stuff and the character stuff but also if you want to see zombies getting shot in the head you know there's plenty of that as well you know it, it um it has a bit of of everything but um you know the two halves of it really uh, reinforce each other but, you know it's not like uh, they don't get in the way, which could, could be the kind of the dangerous if the danger if it was in less steady hands. But uh, everyone involved uh, kind of keeps those halves of the movie kind of perfectly balanced. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I was just, so I don't want to undermine the fact that there are some bits that bloody terrified me in this mm. film as well. So yeah. I think yeah. So in terms of the production, and uh, it's directed by Cole McCarthy, who uh, was one of the first directors of Sherlock and. Mm. Uh, some Peaky Blinders since, so if that gives you an idea of someone who can really handle tone, uh, yeah. so it really sort of brings the story to life along with the cast and the script. So it's uh, yeah, so it's a thumbs up from me <laughs> uh, and from me. And like I said, uh, uh, the girl with all the gifts is going to be available on demand in the US from the twenty fourth of February. Is probably available on DVD in the UK now. Uh, I yes, should think so. 
and the uh, the book is available everywhere uh, and i'm going to pick up the book the next chance i get uh, although i have i have too many books to read but um, i will i will put it higher up the list than it was uh, there's a lovely quote from uh, joss whedon on the cover as well about it being uh, absolutely nearly perfect and so uh, it's uh, <laughs> so i think that if, if that helps uh, sway you as well i think because he's a man of fair taste i think we can all assume yeah and uh, he's dropped a zombie uh zombie stuff in his in his work from time to time uh including uh the reavers in firefly who are basically zombies but you had to mention the reavers didn't you <laughs> <laughs> hate those guys <laughs> okay so now um so from that let's uh kind of talk about zombie fiction in general particularly the current state of the zombie genre because the girl with all the gifts is kind of the latest uh installment in kind of british zombie horror which is something that goes back quite a way at least to the 80s i think you know there's 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 lots of british zombie movies probably the most famous of which would be Shaun of the dead and 28 days later if you count it as a zombie movie which i know is a point of contention it's 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 a zombie movie in its in its genre basically i count it's, it as one even if danny yeah. boyle doesn't <laughs> it's like the the rage infected people are not technically z- zombies because they're not dead but like if you're saying what kind of movie is this you would say like all of the other stuff is it's a zombie movie but you know, like the the zombie genre in like the last ten, fifteen years or so, has achieved a kind of level of cultural dominance that I certainly have always. I'm always surprised by, because I remember growing up that there were there seemed to be like five zombie movies. Like <laughs> there weren't there weren't a huge amount of zombies movies being made in the nineties, but also like. Uh, historically there weren't that many that would kind of permeate through to the culture you had the romero zombie movies but everything else it was like low budget stuff that was appealed to a small niche of horror fans but now like you've got the walking dead you've got fear the walking dead you know a tv show that is so popular that it's managed to support a a kind of a spin-off prequel uh airing at the same time which is crazy uh you've got i zombie also on television but you also have you know a few years ago you had world war z or world war z which you know is kind of a huge multi-million dollar zombie blockbuster and this is uh it's just crazy to me the extent to which zombies you know kind of in my lifetime have gone from a small niche thing that didn't have kind of broad appeal to being kind of unavoidable in pop culture even in kind of tangential ways like if you're talking about like the white walkers in game of thrones which is you know basically zombies yeah i mean it's i think yeah i mean i certainly agree there's there's never not been zombies in culture yeah. but the the permeate permeation of it is uh is, is yeah something to behold but i i have a theory because uh, mm-hmm. as you say with the last 15 years or so of the real rise of zombies in like set in dead center in pop culture no pun intended but <laughs> i think you could also tie that to the rise of superheroes in mm. sort of in film and television as well, which so I think there is an acceptance more of comic books in general and that sort of tone and the ability for long running series to blend that sort of long form storytelling with action that can now be done on screen uh, in the same way that it can on a comic book just due to budgets, but and and so and the sort of acceptance of the more genre trappings, I think it just seems to the zombie. Uh, the zombie success seems to parallel sort of everything since Spider-Man or uh, or the X-Men movies in the at the beginning of the century. So that's yeah. my theory. What do you think of that? <laughs> uh, I think it, it, Spider-Man is an interesting point because obviously Spider-Man was directed by Sam Raimi, and uh, he you know the Evil Dead movies are you know the kind of playful 
weird horror comedies, but they are also kind of zombie movies in that the 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 kind of nebulous laws judging how the the deadites function are kind of like zombie movies. Like you get bitten, your hand becomes possessed, and you have to chop it off. You know, it's kind of it it kind of fits within that subgenre, I guess. Um, really obsessed with the rules aren't you (laughs) (laughs) i I just think uh, well this kind of gets to a broader point we'll get on to in a moment but i do think that one of the reasons why a genre like 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 zombie horror or just zombie in general why it kind of can permeate out is that uh, they have certain rules that everyone knows so it's easy for people to kind of get on board with they have certain signifiers that everyone kind of thinks okay you know zombies they are undead maybe sometimes they're not (laughs) but you know they are (laughs) They are. They if they bite you, you become a zombie. Maybe instantaneous. It may take a little while, but eventually you'll become a zombie. Uh, they are kind of most dangerous in hordes because they will just keep coming after you. Things like that. So I think that uh, I think that's one of the reasons. Same with like superhero movies. Is people understand what superheroes are like. They are ordinary people gifted with extraordinary powers. You know, or they are just kind of extraordinary beings who decide to commit themselves to saving the world or whatever and then because you understand what the rules are you can subvert them so i do think that like rules are important in allowing a genre to kind of dig its claws into the into the consciousness because once people are familiar with that then they can uh, kind of seek out the kind of the more unusual variations on that that's interesting i do wonder if there are some sort of post-millennial letdown that just uh, meant that audiences just we're ready for uh, sort of yeah the sort of ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances that uh, that the sort of genres of superhero dom or zombie dom sort of allows like these ruined worlds or anything that's just uh, that allows people to be their true selves and shine and flourish or just be dreadful for those of you watching the walking dead <laughs> so. mm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, not to bring everything to 9-11, which just kind of feels like something that you... Like, the stuff that it kind of gets talked about in terms of, um, you know, kind of the superhero culture and the uh, disaster porn genre, which has kind of really proliferated in the last kind of 10 years or so. But I do... I think there is something to be said for an event like that, which was so kind of huge and traumatic and played out on kind of television screens everywhere, so everyone was able to kind of see it and experience it, even if you didn't live in New York that sense of a world kind of falling apart and just kind of like being apocalyptic. I think that's part of the reason why you see a lot of these kind of apocalyptic genres kind of becoming really popular is that they give people kind of an opportunity to process the kind of the negative emotions and the trauma. And like when people talk about, you know, oh, if there was a zombie outbreak, how would you survive? How long do you think you survive? What would be your plan? It's not too far away from like saying, okay, if the grid goes down, you know, what what's your doomsday prepping kind of thing? You know, it's a way of kind of thinking about the end of the world and things going terribly in kind of a fun, in a fun way, you know, in a way that's yeah, kind that's of ridiculous. strange how we've sort of normalised that, you know, via the, how would you survive this particular ordeal via the medium of like a Facebook quiz, isn't it? <laughs> I think yeah. That's kind of uh, just like, I, I, I seem to consistently... Uh, survive until the second act in the how long would you last in a zombie movie kind of thing. So, <laughs> so I think I'm sort of I, my death is sort of presumably presumably spectacular, but it definitely seems to be around the midpoint of the film. <laughs> so so uh, just just to give you spoilers there for our own zombie movie when that originally kicks in. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go placing any bets on me to survive the whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, so um, what what do you think was the kind of the tipping point for? Uh, zombies becoming kind of mass culture because for me it seems to fall between 
like the early 2000s when you get like the 28 days later the dawn of the dead remake but also um the first resident evil movie which was kind of a culmin- culmination of uh, of like five or six years of of people being really obsessed with the resident evil video games and um the release of world war z because with world war z uh, that feels like it's the ultimate symptom of it of of the of zombies being kind of central to culture because that's the only way that you could sustain a blockbuster movie if if there was already a lot of interest that uh, people would say yeah sure we'll go and watch a big hollywood um, zombie movie no i think i think that's really interesting yeah seeing that as the end point almost i think yeah with resident evil i, I was going to say that like in the 90s when resident evil and silent hill started turning up on the playstations i think um that was almost like where it started building towards it going mainstream as games mm. obviously through the 90s and as consoles just proliferated everywhere just really uh, actually yeah the resident evil sort of subset actually gave everybody an appetite for that and reminded everybody of george a romero and stuff so i think that was that's, certainly in my case resident evil turned me back to uh, finding things i think i'd seen dawn of the dead but mm. I went back and that was when I first saw Night of the Living Dead and Day of the Dead and, and carried on from there in our formative years of the 90s. But uh, yeah, I think once we got into the 21st century, I think, yeah, I'm not sure the Resident Evil movies per se can, um, <laughs> can be held personally responsible, but they're definitely part of it. And mm. uh, Mila Jovovich is awesome. So I'm not arguing that. <laughs> uh, but uh, But I think once we got into it, I think part of me again thinks it sort of, came at the mainstream in a pincer movement. So like the mm. games in the 90s, but I also think the release of the Walking Dead comic. Uh, sure. Uh, as as Image, uh, as its publisher, as that sort of image was very much about the guys with the mullets and the big guns and lots of pouches, the sort of mm. the Rob Liefeld <laughs> stuff in the 90s. But I think, I can't remember exactly when the Walking Dead started as a comic book series, but I think that also changed the nature of comics first, which then, so you're sort of attacking mainstream geek culture from both sides with sort of comics and video games and so you've got the more sort of story driven stuff and the more action driven stuff and so naturally that feels like it's blending into the middle which would be film and television so mm. i wonder if there was something there of just i i do think the walking dead as a comic book series is a game changer and it really has changed i know it's a mainstay now in the style of game of thrones in terms of tv but i think it's it's easy to forget how much of a risk like even doing I don't know, like a zombie movie on that sort of scale and budget might have been at the time when they did mm. it. But like Gail Ann Hurd and uh, Gail Ann Hurd and Frank Darabont actually developing this as a series that was intended to run and run and run is what a massive risk that was, and and how good was that pilot still that it and, mm. but it had to be that good I think to to grab that much attention. I I still think it's one of the most popular shows in America. Is it like like right up there? I mean, very it's, it's yeah. Also, it also seems to be like like when Doctor Who or Sherlock's on over over here that it's uh, it's you know a big highly rated show but also a thoroughly dissected one when you're on Twitter mm. afterwards or during but yeah but I think there's a definite a definite changing point in the terms of how you want to experience stories that aren't necessarily about being the big budget uh, blockbuster so you've got the the budget behind the Walking Dead as a TV show but where something like World War Z the movie turned out I'm not sure that well, I, I quite enjoy that movie, and in, and I'm entirely able to separate it from the book. But I'm not sure anyone's particularly passionate about it. It was more like, no. oh, we'll go and watch that. Well, we've certainly seen that now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess it would be the novelty of seeing a, a zombie story told on that scale, where it's globe trotting and it takes place, and you know, it's 
millions upon millions of zombies kind of attacking like the wailing wall in in um, israel and things like that so i think that that i think is the reason why world war z other than the fact that there was a lot of probably a lot of residual interest from the book uh and from at least from people being like how are they going to do this oh in the most boring way possible fine <laughs> you know it's, it's it's like a perfectly fine okay movie but it's like when you compare it to the book it's not the most fascinating take on that material but um yeah I, I do feel like that's again like the idea of it being the symptom of the success of the zombie genre is that people have seen like the walking dead which is you know a reasonably budgeted television show but it is also like a relatively small bunch of characters all existing in a set in the same place whether it's a farm or a prison you know like uh and then you know their interactions as opposed to like something on, on world war z where it's like oh this is a story that's going to take place across the entire globe and you're going to watch like a genuine movie star go across and it's going to have action set pieces and uh, it's all going to be kind of wrapped up in two hours which is again is um a weird kind of reversion to the norm of what a zombie movie is meant to be, which is like a finite story, as opposed to like, like you say, with the Walking Dead comics and the the TV series, where they were deliberately saying, "Hey, why don't we take this story that is usually kind of self-contained and either resolves with everyone kind of defeating the invade the contagion or everyone dying, <laughs> um, and spread it out and see how long this story can actually go for," which is uh, kind of unusual, and and also in terms of to get it back to superheroes, I think the Walking Dead probably benefited from the fact that the proliferation of superhero movies made people more interested in reading comics. And so because there was a new audience for comics, there was a new audience there to say, oh, what's this zombie comic that everyone's talking about? And you kind of get this weird feedback loops where all of these different uh, geek properties are suddenly kind of generating more interest in each other to the point where they're now inescapable. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting as well. I guess that The Walking Dead and 28 Days Later both actually start in that very day of the Triffids way, don't they? That's mm. a very, virtually identical kind of uh, opening setup, but it works. And it's worked in all three of those things really effectively. So it's not that I begrudge it in any shape or form. Yeah, so I think it's, it's I think, I wonder if The Walking Dead series perhaps has had more of a, an appetite for audiences to actually explore the stuff that they want to, like the sort of the more thematic things we were talking about, whereas the sort of the finite nature of World War Z, the movie, is the sort of didn't really get a chance to to do what it really needed to or promised to, I guess. So everyone's like, well, yeah, that, that, that was there, but it's it's not the book. And it's, it's not to criticise the film for, for it not being the book, but mm. it's, it's more that it didn't even touch on being a bit of the book in terms of, you know, it went to some places, certainly, mm. but it's but actually just wanting to watch a film that was actually about um yeah, about about the world collapsing. I don't think that World War Z really actually hit that button at all, really. It just sort of went, Oh, it was basically some running, really, wasn't it? And it's, <laughs> and I don't think that's really what anyone's after from their zombie movie. That's fine with an action movie, and it's mm. the same thing as doing I Am Legend or something, the Will Smith adaptation of uh of what is my favourite book, I think, uh, mm. uh, by Richard Matheson. But yeah, but it's it's just get touching on the isolation. But I would say in that regard, I Am Legend is actually slightly more successful because the isolation that Will Smith has at the beginning where he's essentially going crazy on his own in New York is, is a far more powerful bit than any of Brad Pitt running around vaguely you know so, and and everyone's sort of going run brad pitt run because we're really worried that you might not survive this film <laughs> because, <laughs> which i think that was the one thing it was just that we just felt that it's like he's really just going to go around and watch a lot of other people die isn't he mm. <laughs> so, whereas even on the walking dead um 
again, not to spoil anything for The Walking Dead, but you're, you're kind of pretty certain that one character will survive it, but uh, but you're you're still not a hundred percent sure. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, and and everyone else is. You just feel I feel genuine concern all the time, and it's it's not just in that. Game of Thrones, Walking Dead spoilers way of kind of going. Oh, what was the big twist? There was a spoiler. You basically mean that someone died, don't you? <laughs> but uh, but it's the context of which they die is is the thing that I think is just you know keeping everybody hooked and enthralled, even if even if some people are beginning to get frustrated with uh, either show. Yeah, it's not like one day you're gonna turn on Twitter and the big twist will be like, oh, the zombies died and everyone's fine now. Yeah, <laughs> the rest of the series is just them rebuilding society. Uh, and it's all a lot of municipal meetings. Oh, <laughs> <Just laughs> the boring dead. <laughs> yeah, that'd be. Oh well, well, you know, that could be quite an epilogue, I guess. <laughs> it, yeah, it would certainly be a surprise. So one of the things that I thought was interesting in kind of thinking about this as a subject is that it kind of um, the zombie genre kind of threw into relief an idea that I've been thinking about in terms of superhero movies. It's weird that superhero movies kind of keep coming into this, but like See, you say, my theory they, was correct. <laughs> they, they did both arise at the same time and they do seem to, over, there's a lot of overlap. Um, but like for a while, uh, I've been wondering what the modern equivalent of the Western was like something that everyone makes every, everyone in like the, the thirties, forties and fifties in Hollywood, everyone made Westerns, like hundreds and thousands of Westerns got produced during that time uh, on all different kind of scales. And I wondered if like superhero movies would ever be that. And then I kind of realized that superhero movies aren't that good an, an analogy because they're almost too expensive. Like it's not, you could have like, uh, westerns of every different shape and size and scale and budget because all you really need is like okay they're going to be riding on a horse they're going to have a hat they're going to have guns and then you know stuff will happen out in kind of a barren wasteland or whatever and then you can just tell any kind of story like that whereas with a superhero movie it's like it's got to have at least like 50 million dollar budget even to be like a cheap superhero movie like deadpool it's still going to cost a lot of money and there's not much you can do whereas like zombie movies thinking about it is actually a greater analogy because a because like there's lots of tv shows that are uh, zombies in much the same way as that there were lots of tv westerns but like the zombie genre is kind of an umbrella thing not to kind of reference uh errors and evil unintentionally you know you can apply it to anything yeah blockbusters like world war z world war z you can have comedies like Shaun of the dead or Zombieland or the original evil dead well actually no uh, evil dead 2 <laughs> the first one is an unintentional comedy you can have something like warm bodies which is like a romance you can have out and out horror like wreck you can have satire like all of the the romero zombie movies you can have kids movies like paranorman <laughs> it's like it's like these all are zombie movies but they couldn't be more different from each other uh, and i kind of think it's it's interesting to think that that's what we have settled on kind of as a society as a culture is like what is our modern western it's it's zombies uh, i kind of thought that was it was weird kind of realizing that as i was putting my notes together for this very interesting actually when you consider that basically both of these genres really come out of the americas as well mm. isn't it? so actually yeah just just how that shows culture has changed but i think that's a really good point about them being quite so similar and not not being a genre unto themselves but just mm. essentially being a, a sandbox that you can go and build your own genre in and we we started watching uh the new netflix series with drew barrymore the santa clarita diet this week oh, yeah. which is another big comedy that is is hilarious and is truly artful so i strongly recommend that but it's uh but again it really is does seem to just be about a 
uh, a, a show that's essentially about somebody embracing their id and who they are. <laughs> so mm. it's, uh, 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 but but while still trying to be part of a, a functional family. So again, that that could maybe Little Miss Sunshine actually is the uh, the cornerstone <laughs> to all genres. Uh, <laughs> so, but I think yeah, no, I think the Western is an interesting point because there's definitely a set of values as well that goes uh, well certainly in the western uh, mm. there's the sort of the, the, the white hats and black hats and then there's the morally gray things that maybe sort of clint eastwood's sort of pale rider and things did whereas i think morality comes into play a lot in um, the zombie movies or zombie stories not so much necessarily during the outbreak but it's the aftermath that is becomes mm. the new frontier doesn't it the the wild west is actually the the post-apocalypse and then so I think there's definitely an element of what do you take with you from current society once all the rules have changed that I think is very fascinating. Mm. And is that like heading west when you were in sort of uh, in Western era uh, North America of this like heading out to California and so on of this and making your own rules, but still bringing a sense of justice or of good or bad or or senses of greed or or actually just beginning a new life is. Um, I think you can take that into the apocalypse with you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which it's that like... makes maybe I am just putting a jaunty spin on <laughs> lots of people getting their faces eaten. But uh, you know, it's the kind of guy I am. There's no reason mm. you can't have both. It, it's almost like the two opposite ends of like the lifespan of a human civilization because that's you know if you're talking about like um david milch's idea for deadwood being about the birth of america and kind of like a society slowly building itself together or stitching itself together into kind of a a civilized society just because you're throwing all these people together and they have to kind of navigate around each other's own morality their own sense of what is right um the zombie movie is the exact opposite of that it's like okay society's fallen apart yeah undeadwood exactly (laughs) (laughs) oh that'd be amazing i I assumed that was where you were going sorry (laughs) no no i hadn't thought of that but that would have been that that actually you you come up with a thesis i'll do the crap puns beg your pardon (laughs) well like they're they're always talking about bringing deadwood back i think that's the the direction they should uh follow if they want to really follow the zeitgeist it's just Mm. like it's the same directing it as it was yeah Sorry, um, that's, that's fine uh but like you know it is it like you say it is like what values survive when like there's no government and there's no there's none of the things that uh the kind of agreed upon kind of fictions about what society is when it's just i have a gun you don't <laughs> what's what are we going to do will i protect you will i kill you or will we work together to kind of uh defeat this kind of shared threat or will we just kind of like fight the death uh mm. and it's kind of uh other, other than like the um complexity of the guns being used uh, the difference between like the situation of like going into the the west and the lawlessness and uh the kind of uh end of the world scenarios of the walking dead there is actually isn't that much different they even have the kind of the same hats based on uh carl uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah he's the small town sheriff isn't he so yeah so what, so what, what do you think? I mean, that's the sort of the, the big plateaus and idealistic sort of playgrounds for it. But what do you think at the other end of it, the sort of the cutification of zombies? Is that uh, something that you enjoy or appeals to you? I do. Yeah, I do enjoy. I enjoy anything where um, a genre is so well established and the rules are so well established, John. That's why rules are important. That you can. Yeah, that's what I enjoy as well. It's, it's what <laughs> makes it fun. <laughs> yeah, rules are meant to be followed. 
Uh, that's what that, that's how that phrase goes. Uh, but no, like once once the rules are well enough established that you can kind of play around with them and you can do something like Shaun of the Dead or um, or Zombieland or or even like something like Warm Bodies where someone says, "Why don't we tell a YA romance where the where the the love object or one of the halves of the relationship is a zombie? You know, why don't we take the kind of like the twilight idea or whatever of like a normal person and a supernatural being and we make that supernatural being like the least appealing of all of them really the one that's slowly decaying (laughs) uh and kind of constantly seeking to consume human flesh and like uh I i enjoy that i enjoy seeing people uh try try on kind of like the zombie genre in like wildly different ways and like they're not always successful some of them are, aren't particularly good but like you do get um the, the the sheer kind of variety on offer within the zombie genre is what makes it interesting to me i think yeah as much as i was giving you crap there i, I do agree <laughs> that it's the that actually having that bedrock kind of set of rules and it's actually mm. seeing how far you can stretch them uh without breaking them i think is the interesting thing maybe maybe things have gone a bit too far in certain occasions but yeah but i think warm bodies it is the ultimate sort of rom-com pitch of two uh mismatched people isn't it mm-hmm. one of them's alive and the other one really really isn't <laughs> <It's just that's laughs> but but then even shawn of the dead the the, the original rom com uh is I, what i loved about that is that the zombies weren't um they weren't ever silly that all mm. the zombies themselves weren't funny um I think there are some deleted scenes, and I think Edgar Wright might even mention it actually in the commentary. Like they had some scenes where the zombies were sort of doing silly things, mm-hmm. uh, and they just cut those out. And I think that really works for it because the zombies are just zombies; they are things that are looking for things to eat, and then will eat you. And that that's all they are. And so I like that that they they might as well be the shark in Jaws, or they might mm-hmm. as well be some water in titanic <laughs> you know, it's just like, so it's just it's, it's not really an emotive thing they're, they're not actually anthropomorphized even though they are actually the shambling people so i think going that way or the warm bodies way or particularly the paranorman way as well actually which is uh having grown up watching scooby-doo and ghostbusters <laughs> <laughs> the ghostbusters cartoons all the time i thought paranorman it felt like was made for like people our age much more than it was for children when it came out so i think the uh that sort of adoration or weirdness of things being un- undead and using that to explain your childhood and stuff just harken back to when i was sort of paranorman's age and uh, mm-hmm. and watching beetlejuice you know it's just that sort of uh sort of strange identification with other and all things spooky because you just want to know that there's more to life than this when you're eight yeah. and you're parents are muddling around or something <laughs> you just kind of go please let there be monsters that would be cool <laughs> and then as you get older you go monsters are terrifying close the curtains <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah so i think there's the, the flexibility of it but without actually reaching that breaking point where you go this isn't a zombie movie anymore sure is is really the yeah a western isn't just about wearing a hat it, uh, mm. it there really is so, a, a sort of a sense to it that maybe we couldn't necessarily define but we know it when we see it yeah and i think also the fun that like with any um kind of fertile enough genre one that produces enough stuff you know enough examples of it uh the 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 really fun thing is when you get to the really weird mutations of it so you have something like like last year there was the the movie train to busan which is the Mm. the korean movie uh often kind of referred to as zombies on a train (laughs) because that's basically what it is with with good reason to be fair yeah (laughs) yeah 
which is like a great exhilarating exciting variation on the zombie story where it just basically says what would happen if there was an outbreak of a zombie virus on a train and it's like chaos obviously but that's you know it's really fun or something like uh, there's a movie that i'm i'm a big fan of called wild zero which is a zombie movie starring the japanese hard rock group uh, guitar wolf in which <laughs> they defeat the power they defeat a outbreak of the undead through the power of rock and roll and love uh and it's an is an absolutely insane movie <laughs> that could only really exist if you didn't uh, it wouldn't exist if there wasn't kind of a bedrock of more normal zombie movies upon which to kind of you could you would eventually inspire people to say hey what if we tell this completely ridiculous story that uh, features this um this incredibly exciting and uh, very simplistic rock band uh, who are just going to constantly tell people about their about uh, rock music and love um, well, that sounds delightful. <laughs> it's a very, very fun movie. It's it's it, completely it's, it's strange. Just, oh, sorry. I was just saying, it's just it's so weird. It's such a strange movie. I think it is quite interesting, though, that while definitely people are pushing it and stretching it, that there hasn't actually been, that I can think of, particularly out-and-out out parodies of zombie movies, maybe because hmm. the, the zombie uh, sort of, the, the zombie product is actually sort of getting close to it itself but actually keeping that fine line like we haven't had the scary movie style zombie movie or anything which always seems to be the epitome of it but things mm. like i zombie or warm bodies do actually uh are, are sort of toying the line but also i guess just reinventing the zombie uh sort of rule book a little bit while still staying strict to the rules edwin don't worry but <laughs> but um, the uh that something like i zombie just sort of goes oh well there, there, there's this bit that all of the zombie movies have got right but what they didn't know was this aspect or mm. or even the girl with all the gifts going back going for the bacterial root uh the fungal root, uh and that being a sort of a, a different biological system than a virus which is just obsessed with eating and, and consuming so i think there's there's little things there that are that allow for not parody, but sort of poking fun in the way that Buffy did, perhaps with vampires yeah. or just the undead in general. It's just like that introduced, uh, you know. I, I, while obviously vampires begat vampires in in old stories, I think the term siring actually came from Joss Whedon, and uh, mm. or, or that I was aware of anyway. Uh, and I read a lot of vampire crap when I was little, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so that was the first time I heard it. So just actually having those sorts of rules um, and actually being able to sort of reinvent it even if you're actually parodying something like in, in the idea of warm zombies, like uh, uh, warm zombies, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> warm bodies, big fun. Um, well, you can actually just have that, that they can talk to each other a bit. They just mm. don't because they're just shambling around, but there is also a sort of a group think to them. That's that in the case of warm bodies without spoiling it is, is really adorable. <laughs> so, it's, uh, <laughs> so uh, oh, I remember his art, uh, the main character's zombie mate who uh, sort of turns <laughs> up every now and again to see how it's going. Oh, it's lovely. But, uh, but I think it's that thing of like, I never felt that warm bodies was a zombie parody, but yeah. there are elements of it where you can yeah play with that story and actually just be able to do something new without actually destroying what's gone before or mocking what's gone before, which, I think maybe is the strength of it being such a powerful genre in the in the same way as westerns are. Mm. I think also it helps like if you if you look at something like Airplane making fun of the disaster movies of the 70s um like parody works best when the thing being parodied has a sense of seriousness to it I guess or is kind mm. of maybe takes itself too serious and I think because the zombie movie uh has always had kind of a sense of fun to it like going back to something like white zombie in the 30s where it's kind of a slightly campy thing or 
even like the the Romero, like obviously Dawn of the Dead has its its kind of sense of humor in like the the gong, you know, the music. It's like you don't include that song if you're meant your movie to be taken 100 percent seriously, and you know has that element of satire to it. Um, and then you get into like like Lucio Fulci's um, zombie movies in the 80s when you have like a zombie biting a shark, yeah. <laughs> which is just like such a crazy image. Like it's, it's, a, it's a genre that has always been a little bit silly and kind of uh, pro, even even like in the like the Dawn of the Dead remake when you have like the zombie baby being born. It's like, that's like a crazy, that's a crazy thing to happen in a movie. Um, and that's, uh, you know, I think that that slight touch of silliness all the way through is why a parody of it wouldn't really work because like all the good ones are at least a little bit funny and self-aware to begin with because you yeah. have to accept you know the idea of zombies coming back to life you know the dead coming back to life uh is inherently kind of a silly idea yeah although although you have to maybe think with the the dawn of the dead remake there just to tie it back into superheroes that was of course direct that was the first film of Zack snyder who's currently mm. leading the dc movies and was written by uh Sean Gunn, uh, James Gunn, rather, who did, yeah. uh, it's, of course, The Guardians of the Galaxy. So it all ties together <laughs> nicely. <Yeah. so. laughs> uh, but no, I, I think you're absolutely right with, uh, ha- actually, having said that, the, the the parody aspect, remember that Scary Movie was, of course, a parody of Scream, which mm. is, of course, a satire in itself. So uh, so uh, th- there's not necessarily that rule. Maybe we've just run out of audience for the Scary Movie sort of franchise. <laughs> so, yeah, which, although uh, they did crossed. announce that they're going to do a Star Wars one this week because oh. they're going to finally take star wars down a peg um <laughs> yeah. that's what everyone I, needs yeah i don't think star wars really needs to worry do they? No, but <laughs> I, I think you're right about the uh, the levels of satire though that because you can use zombie movie zombies in any shape or form to i don't know is, is there any really any theme that you can't really explore with it that's that's why it's this doesn't feel like it's a genre so much as just a sandpit to play in I, mm. i'm not sure there's anywhere that you couldn't push a zombie movie into some sort of satirical or genre you know thematic angle yeah it's like you know like westerns or cop drama drug or like uh mysteries or whatever you can pretty much apply any kind of shape others genres can kind of be added into the mix and it's still recognizably a zombie movie or a cop drama or whatever but um (laughs) or even combine the two like in the uh uh what was it called? There was this, there was a, a TV show which was about zombie police, like in the early two thousands, which I think only made one episode and is like notoriously terrible. Uh, but does have a great line where um, a zombie cop speaks to a regular policeman and says, "I want you to solve a crime. I want you to solve a murder. Mine." <laughs> it's just kind of like yes. <laughs> uh, it's like it's just such a ridiculous idea. But weirdly, the sort of idea you think if that got made now, it would have been running. It would have been running for five series already. But in, oh, in... ahead of its time, was it? Wasn't well, that also the opening line of DOA? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so, so I was going to say it's, it's not. It's not a, such a ridiculous premise. <laughs> it's not such a ridiculous premise, but it's very ridiculous when it's being said by a zombie. <laughs> like that fair takes enough, it fair <laughs> as opposed to a guy saying, "Hey, I've been poisoned. You have to help me kind of figure out what happened." You and your rules, Ed. <laughs> uh, okay, I think that's a, a, a good place to finish off. Uh, we're going to end this episode like we end most episodes of the show. Not all. I keep forgetting to do it. But um, we're going to end with Shot Reverse Shot Recommends, where we talk about uh, something that we've enjoyed either recently or that ties into the theme of the episode. John, uh, what have you got to recommend for us? I have uh, 
I, I had forgotten that this was coming, so oh, okay. I, I have seen at the cinema this week. I went to see Jackie, uh, which is up for its Oscars, which I did actually mm. think was a, a really powerful film. I wasn't quite sure to begin with, as I wasn't sure if it was being a mood piece or a character piece or a sort of reflection of grief, but I kind of guess that that is the point that the mm. film is trying to portray in going through Jackie's state of mind. So by the time it got to the end, um, I, I really was just entirely on board and actually quite moved by it all. And even if it was just a performance piece, not only is Natalie Portman incredible, but uh, Greta Gerwig as her sort of associate and uh, Peter Sarsgaard is, is just a fantastic cast all round, plus a brilliant opportunity to go and see John Hurt in his, uh, what I think is, well, definitely going to be one of his final on-screen roles. Uh, so he's mm. only in a few scenes as uh, uh, Jackie Kennedy's priest, but uh, he, he definitely leaves his mark in it as well. Yeah, that's a fantastic movie. And like you say, it's a, it's a really interesting meditation on not just grief, but kind of a very public kind of grief. Like if you are the most famous woman in the world and your husband is murdered in front of the world, you, how do you handle that? Mm. Uh, that's a really great movie. Um, I'm going to recommend a movie that's not a meditation on grief. <laughs> it's very much the different, the opposite end of the spectrum. The Lego Batman movie, uh, hey. <laughs> which has just opened and I saw uh, yesterday. Uh, and which uh, I think is is hugely enjoyable, wonderfully charming and very, very funny movie. But also, um, I think is great if you are someone who has kind of been steeped in Batman, in, in not just Batman lore, but the hundreds of different variations of Batman there have been. Yep, John has a Batman mug, so obviously <laughs> this is uh, aimed directly at him. But it's a... Because um, it's kind of a Batman that exists within a world in which all variations of Batman have existed. Uh, it's kind of a celebration of all the different types of Batman that have existed. So there's lots of jokes about, you know, the most recent incarnation, the incredibly serious version, um, kind of lightheartedly mocking the way in which the DC films have gone, but, you know, kind of with a certain degree of corporate synergy. Uh, but also, you know, there's lots of, there's like references to the various different cinematic uh, incarnations. There's a great moment when Batman is choosing a playlist to play while he's fighting all of the various rogues gallery that have been assembled against him. And it's called the Let's Get Nuts remix, which I think <laughs> is um, which is a lovely touch. There's lots of references to the 60s version of Batman. Uh, there's 101 Easter eggs, particularly, like I say, in the rogues gallery. They go very deep <laughs> into the selection of villains to kind of include in the movie. Uh, and it's just I gather a, a, even the Condiment King is in there. <laughs> yes, yeah, Condiment King. I, the I one think I, that I, I own the comic where he appears. So I, yeah. <laughs> he's a real one, kids. <laughs> yeah, that I think that was the one that everyone at my screening was like, "Is that a real one?" Is like, "Yep, they are all real. All of these ones that you just saw. Zebra Man's a real thing. Calendar Man, Eraser, they're all there." Uh, and it's just, it's just a, it's just a really wonderful, funny, manic kind of journey uh, and i think it, it works just as a kind of a straightforward kind of funny kids movie but i think for anyone with kind of a reasonable kind of uh background knowledge of of the batman universe uh there's a hell of a lot kind of to enjoy around the margins brilliant i am absolutely looking forward to that hoping to go and see that this week although i will actually just pick you up on one thing if you think that darkness no parents isn't a meditation <laughs> on grief then i don't know what is <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah you're right there's, there's a little bit of grief in it i guess okay thank you again john for coming on the show if you have enjoyed this episode of the podcast and other episodes then please subscribe to us on itunes you can like us on facebook and you can follow us on twitter where we are at srs underscore podcast we'll be back next week with an episode all about the Oscars. But uh, until then, uh, it's goodbye from me. Thank you. Cheers, Edward. Thanks for having me. Bye.